You're listening to Force Friends Rewatch, a Star Wars TV show podcast. From Rebels to Resistance and The Mandalorian to Ewoks, we've got you covered. Here's your warning, there will be spoilers. And there will be swearing, because our host just gets so gonk darn excited to talk about these good, good shows. Welcome to Force Friends Rewatch. I'm your host, Andy. And I'm Ryan. Force Friends Rewatch, we watch Star Wars television shows, and then we talk about them. Recently, we covered Season 1 of Star Wars Rebels, and last time, we covered the Star Wars Holiday Special. That was a blast. That was a good time. Thanks again to the advertising uh, folks for joining us. That That was a hoot and a half. That was. That was the most fun I ever had with the holiday special. And as you'll know, if you listen to that episode, that's saying something. So for this next uh, arc or season or I don't know what to call it, like batch of Force Friends. This next uh, testament of I believe testament is the correct. The next testament of Force Friends Rewatch. We're going to do something a little bit different. Um, We're going to be talking about Mandalorians a whole lot. Oh, yeah. We are, we're basically rewatching the entire on-screen canon that deals with Mandalorians in anticipation of the second season of the live-action show. Yeah, I thought it'd be fun to do it like this because more so than any other aspect of Star Wars canon, like Mandalorians have been examined pretty exclusively on TV. Yeah. Like, you have pilots in the movies, you have Jedi in the movies, you have Sith in the movies, you have bounty hunters in the movies. But when it comes to Mandalorians, aside from the two Fets, they've largely been explored in TV shows, and that's that's it. So we thought we'd kind of take it from their first appearance all the way up through The Mandalorian. Yeah, and it, it kind of, like, the story of their culture is almost a... It's a narrative within three different series now that kind of transcends the plot of those series and almost goes together as its own overarching thing. So, Ryan, for for our fans who are maybe the more casual viewer, uh, who's maybe only seen Mandos in the TV show and in the movies, what the fuck is a Mandalorian? <laughs> that is a good question. You could question. say... Yeah, because it's, it's, I mean, Mandalore is a planet, but I think it's in one of the early Duchess Satine episodes, which we'll be rewatching, that they establish that it's a lot more worlds than just a planet, and it's the whole Mandalore sector. It seems like a, it's a segment of space, and their capital is the planet Mandalore. Yeah. But then there are other planets within this system that are populated by... Mandalorians. Um, like Conquered Dawn, Crownist. Yeah. So it's, to some degree, it's a planet. To some degree, it's a people. To some degree, it's a culture. It's definitely, And yeah. like a lifestyle or like it's, maybe a philosophy. Yeah, it's kind of, it's, I think a culture is the best word for it. 
at their root, they're warriors. But as Satine and her people show, not necessarily. But even their pacifism is rooted in a warrior tradition because it was a result of their world being devastated by their own civil war. So, yeah, I mean, this Mandalorian's in a sentence. Uh, a Mandalorian is an adherent of a warrior tradition from the Mandalore sector. But maybe not. Maybe they're an adherent of a maybe pacifist tradition. Yeah, that too, that too. They don't necessarily... Yeah, because the whole... I mean, the concept of foundlings within Mandalorian culture plays into the Mandalorian a lot. So I got another question for you. I got another answer for you. Who's your favorite Mando? Oh, man. Um, Somebody just asked me this on Instagram, and I said it's a toss-up between Sabine, uh, Fen Shisa from the old Marvel comics, and the child. All He's answers. a Mandalorian. Thank you. How about you? So that is a tough one. Um, I think probably Bakasoka. <laughs> That's a good one. She is <laughs> she is one hell of a Mandalorian. She's pretty dope. Uh, I don't know if she's canon anymore or, or if she ever was, but she, she's pretty dope. She is canon in my heart. She is sitting across the room playing The Sims, looking at me in confusion. I think she just figured out who your answer to favorite Mandalorian was. Um, I was a sucker for Hondo Carr, which is like oh. such a deep fucking cut. Um, he was the, the, was he the black and gold one? In Legacy, yeah. or was he? Yeah, okay. Yeah, he was a stormtrooper in Joker Squadron, which That's right. like the main story like took a pause and just followed uh like this 80s action movie, like Vietnam story of the stormtrooper <laughs> squad. And uh he was like this badass, and they're like, we like rumor is he's a Mandalorian, but no one no one knows if that's true or not. And like <laughs> it turns out like it is true, and then he has to, like, go find his armor again, and, like, every so often the main story just, like, stops and goes back to Hondo Carr right. doing doing Mando shit. Um, I always like the look of him. Yeah. Yeah, his Mando armor's neat. Um, I think he's more interesting when he doesn't have his armor. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, he's, he's, he's a fun, fun character, very deep cut. I loved the Legacy comics. Uh, anyone who's a member of Rogue Squadron gets like top top status in my book. Yeah, he kind of um, did it all. He was a stormtrooper. He was in Rogue Squadron. Yeah, yeah, he That's was all right. over the place. He just kept like popping up and shit. And he was a Mandalorian. As far as like canon is concerned, um, I mean Din Djarin is is my is my boy. I love Pedro Pascal. Oh yeah, he's brilliant. Another question. All right. What do you think is the difference between Mandalorians in Legends and in Canon? Karen Travis. <laughs> That's a good answer. Um, in in Legends, there wasn't really like a unifying view because the first the first story of Mandalorians in Legends is uh, the whole Fenchisa thing, and it just doesn't it doesn't make sense because it has like 
if memory serves, it's Fen and Boba Fett and Tubby Dalla hunting Princess Leia at Palpatine's command during the Clone Wars. Like, it just doesn't... It doesn't work. Oh, and it was kind of all over the place until Karen Travis came in and gave us the definitive Mandalorians, which were, like, weird. You know, <sighs> they they lived in, like, huts on Mandalore, and they... They spoke this language, which was cool, but like it got to be too much, and it was a universe within a universe, and they were it just felt very broy. To me, Karen Travis Mandalorians felt like if Klingons fucked Warhammer 40k. Yes. And then yes. they just kind of like shoved it in to Star Wars, even though it didn't really fit, even though it like <laughs> Didn't feel right. Karen Travis was like, nope. And they all have nine inch dicks and they all have big muscles and they all like, they don't have forks. They only have knives. Yes. And, and every dinner, instead of praying, like one person gets stabbed. Yeah. And then they drink protein shakes. (laughs) (laughs) It was just like Karen Travis. Like, can we stop with this, please? Well, she did. Um, yeah she did stop finally that yeah Um, and like if you are listening to this and you love those books um that's fine it's okay yeah no disrespect dumb 90s things (laughs) but like it's it's very much that like rob liefeld like buckles and big guns yeah kind of testosterone like this is what a 13 year old thinks it's just like the coolest shit. That was, I mean, the scary part is it, it had such nineties energy, but it, it came later. Like she didn't start. Those books came out around revenge of the Sith to tie in like 2005. Yeah. And then they ran for years. I mean, she, her departure was intrinsically linked to her dislike of what the Clone Wars did with Mandalorians. I guess giving them personalities instead of special guns. I don't know. Well, I I distinctly remember being... I was a huge fan of the Clone Wars content pre the 3D TV show. Yeah, same. So, like, I read all the novels, I read all the comics, and I loved the 2D show. And when the the Lucas one started, the Filoni one started, I was like salty because I was like the timeline's complete and they were trying to like fit it in between. Yeah. Stuff. And like, that's why the episodes kind of like weren't in order. And around season three, they like, like, fuck it. None of that other shit's canon. (sighs) Just this is canon. And I was like doubly mad. But I heard people saying like, I hate what this show is doing to Mandalorians. I hate what this show is doing to Mandalorians They're And I was like, what's wrong? What are they doing to Mandos? And I was hearing that they were pacifists and they had this other culture going on. And it wasn't like the Karen Travis books. And I was like, fuck me. That sounds rad. Yeah. (laughs) That sounds so much better. I got to check that out. Uh, So I'm very glad I did end up checking it out because the Mandalorians and in Clone Wars are phenomenal, but there was a huge, huge pushback against it. There was. And it, like the Travis books were not that great. It, it didn't feel like Star Wars to me because 
the Mandalorians and the Jedi having like an ancient feud. I mean, that's that's the nature of the story. Like that's part of the appeal, the intrigue of what's that all about. But it felt like Karen Travis was personally angry at the Jedi, which I will remind you are a fictional organization. But that woman had such a vendetta against them that it was like, it was a little off-putting to even hear her talk about the stories in interviews and things. I remember, I can't remember specific examples, but I just got the impression that like there was someone in Karen Travis's life who looked like Obi-Wan Kenobi who did her wrong or something like, yeah, yeah, it like hijacked Star Wars. Anyway, thank God. Those books are gone. Again, yeah. if you love them, oh yeah, more power to you. And the game uh, was fun. And oh, there Republic were Commander, cool the game elements. was fucking rad. Oh, yeah, so and good. Were, and and Bounty Hunter was dope. Oh, Bounty Hunter was amazing. Oh, that one of my top five favorite Star Wars games of all time. So we've kind of talked about our favorite Mandos. We've talked about Legends vs. Canon. Um, I guess there's no point in asking you which you prefer. <laughs> <laughs> Likewise. Uh, so between three major shows, we've heard a lot of different events in Mandalorian history, and you can kind of trace the story of these people through these shows. Mm-hmm. The The fun thing has been that these shows are like 10 years apart. You know, like yeah. their Clone Wars was what, 20, 2008? Yeah. And then Mando came out in 2020, 2019? 2019, so, yeah. So yeah, like like 11, 11 years between Clone Wars and Mandalorian. And it's just been like snippets of these these larger events. But I made a rough timeline here. You did we a good job that, of that. Oh, I have thank that. you. Yeah, you said that to me. We know that the the Mandalorians had uh, war amongst themselves and then a a very large war with the Jedi. Uh, we know that Tar Vizsla was the first Mandalorian to join the Jedi Knights and that he had an Excalibur-like weapon called the Darksaber. <laughs> do we know when he was besides, like thousands of years ago like do we have any I, figure i guess we really I can't don't re- i can't remember if kanan or fenral says um yeah. my guess was it had to have been pre-sith so at least a thousand years because the, the yeah. sith have been gone for a thousand so right um we know that when he died the dark saber was taken to the jedi temple uh and like put in a place of respect and then mandalorians were like Fuck the police, and they went and stole it. Oh, wait, we do have a rough time figure. Oh, yeah? Like you said, Thousand Years was the fall of the Old Republic. You were right, because Pre Vizsla tells Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, my ancestors stole this from the Jedi Temple during the fall of the Old Republic. So if oh, the lightsaber nice, nice. was... Yeah, so if the lightsaber was stolen a thousand years ago, then Vizsla had to be at least a thousand. Uh, a bunch of years pass... Uh, and then there is the Reformation and reign of Duchess Satine, who she is this character from the Clone Wars who is pushing uh, this pacifist 
ideology and reforming, you know, kind of Mandalorian society. There is then a Death Watch terror campaign in Q. Then there is the Siege of Mandalore, which had only been talked about for the longest time. We, like, heard whispers of it. Filoni and Hidalgo would, like, reference it. But we we didn't really have all the details until very recently we got to watch yeah. it. Clone Wars Season 7. Uh, there's then the Conquest of the Empire, which we get kind of hints of in Rebels. And you can also see the seeds of it in Season 7 of Clone Wars. Uh, the character Sabine Wren finds the Darksaber years later. There's then a revolution led by Bo-Katan. There is the Night of a Thousand Tears, which is referenced by Moff Gideon. Wasn't that during the siege? So there's two, two theories right now about what the Night of a Thousand Tears is. There mm-hmm. is, and I think both are equally plausible. There is the one idea that the Night of a Thousand Tears took place during the Clone Wars and was one of the battles we saw in Season 7. And then there is the idea that Bo-Katan's revolution ends in total annihilation and defeat, and that that is what the Night of a Thousand Tears is. I personally think it is the latter. I think it is during Hmm. the early days of the Galactic Civil War. I think that kind of helps explain why there aren't more Mandos helping the Rebellion when they seem to be, like, instrumental to the early days of it. I think it also is more personal to Din if he's older for it. True. Like, why would... Yeah, because he would be... Why would Gideon bring it up? But I thought Gideon said it was during the siege. I don't know. Anyway, anyway. Could be wrong. I could be wrong. But I think it's closer to Galactic Civil War. Yeah, that would make more sense. It is possible, too, that it is post-Clone Wars and pre-Galactic Civil War. Like, it could take place somewhere in the middle. That's what I was thinking, because they show up with, like, seven Star Destroyers, but we only ever see one small group of people fighting. So who knows where the others went, and we never see them leave. Yeah, I think it's integral to Mandalore being brought under heel. Yeah, definitely. And... I I think this weird Mandalorian code that we see Din following that we've never seen any other Mandalorian follow is a reaction to the Night of a Thousand Tears. I think Mandalore got decimated and that in order to kind of survive, they went more underground and they started following a much harsher code of conduct than what we've seen any of our other Mandalorian protagonists kind of, kind of do. Definitely. But yeah, that leads us to Din Djarin, which is the last Mandalorian kind of story we've gotten and kind of what we're getting ready for. Um, I think by understanding the story through Clone Wars and Rebels, it'll give a bigger picture to what's happening in, in the show, The Mandalorian. Definitely. And you can tell, like, I mean, just the way the timeline works out, Filoni would have already been involved in development on Mandalorian when Rebels was wrapping up. 
And I think I remember, you know, the epilogue of Rebels that starts with Sabine and Ezra's old comm tower. Mm -hmm. I remember when that aired thinking like, what the hell is she doing there? Like, I get it. She stayed on Lothal to protect whatever, whatever. But that's an odd place. I don't know. Like, it, almost, it felt like she was hiding from something. And then the purge showing up in the Mandalorian was like, oh, OK, makes a lot more sense now. So, yeah, I agree that like these stories kind of give more weight. Like you were saying. Well, and like John Favreau voiced the main Mandalorian antagonist yeah. in Clone Wars. Like it's yeah. it's clear that these stories from the animated shows are near and dear to the creators of the Mandalorian's heart. Yeah. No and doubt. it's I think it's going to be really fun tracing these stories and this overarching plot through these different shows. Absolutely. So anything else we want to talk about in regards to like Mandalorians as a whole? Would you consider yourself uh, like a Mandalorian fan? I think so. Um, I'm working on armor of my own. Like I like I like Mandalorians. They're fun. They're not my favorite part of Star Wars. Like I don't I don't sing Vode on in my sleep or anything, but I think they're cool. What about you? Uh, I would have said no a long time ago. Interesting. I would have said that, no, I think they're annoying. <laughs> um, Same. Because, I mean, like, Legends was like, oh, Bosk is the only Trandoshan we know, so all Trandoshans are bounty hunters. And, yeah. like, Boba Fett is the only Mandalorian we know, so all Mandalorians are the most badass and the coolest and the edgiest. And, like, I'm, I just wasn't here for that. Yeah. But... The the canon Mandalorians, I think, are really interesting. I think I still have some, like, wariness about Mandalorians as a whole because, like, there are still those, like, hardcore, like, Karen Travis fans in the Mandalorian yeah. fandom. But, um, yeah, I think they're cool. I think they're fun. Uh, I was terrified that the show, the live-action show was going to be a badass man and badass armor doing yes. badass things. And instead Same. we got like this kind of sad, sweaty man, like single dad, just trying his best. And it really is. And he's just like going from one fight to the next, getting his ass kicked. And I'm, I'm so here for it. So, uh, yeah, like I'm a Mando fan, but like still a little hesitant to say that. On the topic of Mando fans, uh, I have a friend who told me a story about a time that she was working the Mando Marks booth at San Diego Comic-Con, and a fascinating specimen of masculinity came to the table, and probably in an attempt to perform a mating ritual, said, I think... I think he said something in the Mandalorian language and then asked if she spoke it. And she thought he was kidding or something. And she was like, oh, no, I don't. And he frowned and said, fake, and walked away. Jesus Christ. Am I a Mandalorian fan? I don't want to like anything that guy likes. That's my stance on it. <laughs> I, <laughs> I am whatever it takes to be the opposite of that. But I also can't imagine he likes Satine, so... I'm good with I'm good with the Canon Mandos. On the flip side of that, I went to a Baltimore Christmas parade with the Rebel Legion and the local contingent of the Mando Mercs was there and 
it was the finale hadn't aired yet, but like we were maybe one or two episodes away from the finale and we were walking in the parade and everyone was yelling to the Mandos. Yeah. And it was the coolest thing. I've been trooping for years. Everyone always tells the Mandos like, oh, like cool Boba Fett armor, but the colors are wrong. Yep. And it's like, well, <laughs> they're not Boba Fett. But like everyone had seen that, you know, episode three at that point where all the Mandos fight together. And so everyone was yelling, hey, Mando, hey, you know, where's yeah. the child? Where's baby Yoda? Oh, like, where's baby Yoda? That's a big one. Cool. Cool, cool Beskar armor. Like, yeah. shit that, like, the average the average Star Wars fan doesn't know, like, these deep cuts. But, no, like, but now they, they do, do now because the show. And I never had seen the Mandalorian Mercs get that level of recognition and that level of appreciation from the public. That's, you know, the, yeah. That's they do a Comic awesome. Con and, you know, they'll get a lot of attention because it's the nerdiest of the nerds. But, like, right, but like the yeah. public, though cheering and yelling for them and high-fiving them and asking for pictures with them like that. I had never seen that before. And I was so stoked for them. That is awesome. That same deal. We, our Christmas parade was right. I think right after chapter three, ours was earlier. Yeah. It was Thanksgiving weekend and it was the same deal. There was a lot of where's baby Yoda, just a lot of like love for the Mandalorians. We had them lead our whole group. And then the Clone Wars characters were right behind them. I was with them as Anakin and nobody cared about us because it was all about the Mandalorians. It was so exactly what you just said. It was so cool. So I think that'll that'll do it for us this week. We will be back next week and we are going to be watching Clone Wars season two, episodes 12 through 14. That is the Mandalore plot. Voyage of Temptation and Duchess of Mandalore. Yeah, yeah. Obi-Wan's hanging out with his ex-girlfriend. Awkwardness <laughs> ensues. It's good times. I have strong opinions, surprise, about how these episodes relate to the Clone Wars flashback in the season one finale of The Mandalorian, and we will get to that next time. Well, that's going to do it for us. Follow us on Twitter at Force Friends Pod. Talk to us on the Lunar Light Discord. Give us money at Kofi slash Force Friends Rewatch. Shoot us an email at forcefriendsrewatch at gmail.com. And we want to give a huge thank you to Bristol Podworks for that intro and for being our producer. Go reach out to them to make your podcast dreams come true. Ryan, what do we say at the end of every episode? Well, we say tell the boy about his parents, but I was just thinking this morning, should we instead be saying this is the way? I mean... I think that's the new way we're going to do it. I think it has to be. This All is right, the way. Well, that's going to do it for Mando Friends Rewatch. This is the way. <laughs> this is the way. Lunar Light Studio. Pretty, witty, and gay.